Welcome to Engaging History. My name is Christopher Kinsella, author of Chain of Deception. I'm a professor of history at Cuyahoga Community College in Northeast Ohio. My podcasts are not endorsed by any individual or organization. This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are in general to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. This is the 35th and final podcast in our series on the second half of world history. In the 34th, 34th podcast, I went over the impact that Mikhail Gorbachev had on his country. Number one, and for two major reasons, that number one, he was smart enough, wise enough, call it what you want, to be aware that the Soviet Union simply wasn't keeping up with the rest of the world, especially the westernized world. That's why he instituted the policies, as we talked about, of perestroika and glasnost. As we know, while that was not Gorbachev's initial intention, if his intention at all, the Soviet Union began to disintegrate from the outside in. And the probably the most paramount evidence of that was the profound fall of the Berlin Wall in November of 1989. We talked about that as well, the 1991 attempted overthrow of Gorbachev where Yeltsin came in to defend him. And then we finally concluded with the end of the Soviet Union on December 25th, 1991, and by extension, the end of the Cold War. We then did a quick review of Russia and her former puppet states. We also looked at the impact of September 11th and the fact that despite the rationale or the reason that these terrorists did not necessarily have a home country, that we actually could begin to put pressure on them and eventually catch them through the five-ringed attack that simultaneously tracking where technically they are standing on the land, going after their money supply, expenses, and income, impacting looking at their weapons acquisition, how they communicate, and then recruitment. And then we ended by looking at the fact, and I'd like to remind you in this last part of the quick review of the 34th podcast, is that by and large, Al-Qaeda victims are predominantly Muslim. They're not any other religious organization. They're not any political system per se. So that said, in this 35th podcast, we wrap it up by more or less with a, an update on where we go from here in 2022. While it had been news going back to the end of 2021 that Russia was building up forces on the western half of his country and the periphery of the Ukraine, country of the Ukraine, as well as the northern border and modern-day Belarus, never would I have thought when I recorded that 34th podcast the one right before this one, never would I have thought that I would actually have to bring into this final podcast the fact that the world is at war again. No, not the entire world, two countries. But when it is a tyrant, a truly sick tyrant by the name of 
Vladimir Putin. Let's make no mistake, this is not the Russian people going after the Ukrainian people. This is a deranged tyrant that happens to be able to instill the fear from his army that responds to his beck and call. It is him that is going after the people of Ukraine, the freedom-loving people of Ukraine and their de uh, diplo or democratically elected president. So we're going to also talk about that. But please know, too, that this, despite the war going on between Russia and Ukraine, as I record this podcast, or as of this recording, terrorism is not over. It's not a chapter that we can turn the page on. ISIS may be fragmented, Al-Qaeda the same, but that doesn't mean that there's not future leaders that are going to rise up and attempt to recruit more members in order to wage terrorism on westernized and freedom-loving people. Please note, too, that in the 21st century, 2011 was the year of the protests. In fact, protest was used more times in print in the year 2011 than in any time in history since the age of the print since the beginning of the printing press in fact 2011 or 2012 the t time person of the year was not any one individual it was the protester why because protests starting in early 2011 eventually occurred in countries amassing 3 billion people it initially started perhaps with the most unlikely of all individuals. It was nothing out of the ordinary in modern-day Tunisia. When an apple cart vendor trying to sell his fruit was terrorized by the police for not having, quote-unquote, the proper vendor's license, and they told him to go away. Another day he tried to sell his goods in a different area, and they told him to go away because he wasn't paying them off. And then finally, on another location, the same quote-unquote police approached him, overturned his apple cart, and told him to go away. With that, the man could take no more. He started himself on fire, and that started the world of the protest. Why? How could one individual man start a domino effect of people that were saying enough is enough. It's because of the role of technology and social media. Within minutes of that man immolating himself, people all over the world could access what was going on, where and why it was happening. Did in any way, shape or form, the then leader of Egypt, Hasni Mubarak, the then leader of Libya, right next door to Tunisia, Gaddafi, did they have any idea that that man that started himself on fire would also eventually set fire to their own administrations because the Egyptians were tired of tyranny. The Libyans were tired of tyranny. It's interesting that decades before this happened, our 34th president of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower, once said, if we let Vietnam fall, the rest of the countries in the area will fall like dominoes. As we know, that didn't happen when Vietnam fell in 1979, 
1975, excuse me, because it did fall in 75, but no other country fell as a result. The domino theory of contagious liberation movements seemed to be discredited forever. That was until 2011, when the dominoes of rebellion are still falling some 11 years later. We also, in 2022, have to accept the reality, wherever you're listening to your podcast, is to accept the reality that we live in a world with increased surveillance and, in some cases, increased security, but not necessarily in a good way. We have to assume that whenever we are out in public, that somebody somewhere could be either giving an audio, taking an audio recording, if we are talking, or a visual recording of what we're doing. We just have to make that assumption. Driving cars in the Western world, we have to assume that cars around us could be taking pictures of us, recording what we're doing. Zoom meetings, WebEx meetings, Google Meets. People can be recording us and we have no idea, which is the reason why we just have to assume from the moment we open our eyes in the morning that somebody potentially could be following everything we're doing. It is technology that is many, many years old. When the United States Department of Homeland Security could track terrorists by putting cameras on nothing larger than what appeared to be a pesky fly, large fly or a large mosquito, flying around a room, buzzing around the ceiling, when in fact it was actually a robot controlled by the United States government, in some cases, many, many miles away. If the Homeland Security and it's known we could do that years ago, we can only imagine how small surveillance technology can be in 2022. We also live in a world of pollution. There's no way around that. The reality that we humans have been leaving an extremely large footprint on what we have been contributing to the pollution of this earth. It's interesting that just yesterday, my daughter said, Dad, I don't understand how humans can pollute. And I said, how's that? And she said, well, is not anything that human beings make essentially made from elements of the earth? And how right she was. But the fact of the matter is we, in order to create things like plastic water bottles, automobiles, electrical light bulbs, all these types of things, we are taking elements and combining them in a way that Mother Nature never intended. Even in making these products, we often have wasteful byproducts that we either release into the ground, into the air, or our water sources. And what's worse is when we're done with these products, when they are no longer useful to us and take on the category called junk, the way we dispose of them, where it can take decades or even hundreds of years for different products to break down. And as we're learning with plastics, plastic can break down to the point where to the human eye, it is completely broken down. But we now know that there are fibers of plastics that are unrecognizable to the human eye that are negatively affecting all sorts of life forms on this, on this earth. We also have to deal with the reality that nuclear weapons are still the, one of the greatest threats to the world. Once again, bringing up that Russian-Ukraine war, it is unbelievable to think that Vladimir Putin actually elevated 
his alert readiness for the use of nuclear weapons. Should he go any further, it may be too far for him, as the world may respond in a way that even he would not have thought possible or predicted. But the fact of the matter is the nuclear genie is not going back in the bottle, never had any intention, and certainly will not now going forward. The invasion of the Ukraine, interesting that that happened at the the beginning of this 35th and final podcast in the second half of world history and in the complete world history series, because there is no doubt in my mind that going forward now, years, especially no more than a decade to come, this has upset the world order as we knew it. We had that era called the Cold War. Depending upon your definition of when the cold, what the Cold War was, therefore impacts when it started. Anywhere from 1939, as Dr. Stephen Ambrose uh, stated in his book, Rise to Globalism, or as late as 1945 at the conclusion of World War II. But it ended in 1991. From 1991 to 2021, how convenient and even 30 years would be known as the post-Cold War world. But Putin's invasion of Ukraine will now put us on a different trajectory where there is no idea where it's, to, where it's going to lead us. You listen to my podcast for history. You do not listen to it for the future. History is my world. It's what I get paid for. It's my passion. But the future's business, I've just never been any good at. I will leave and continue to record podcasts dealing with current events as they unfold. I've been trying to record and release podcasts on American history and world history on a weekly basis. Sometimes I was able to do more than two a week. Sometimes, sadly, I have not been able to get done two a week. I won't have any particular time frame, but I will record the podcast and put the date on there of when I recorded it. So that should you want an update, at least to what my take is on world events as they are unfolding, you then would know versus the last time you listened to my podcast, if I had any further posts from there. A couple of final notes, though. Regardless of the country that you're listening from, we need to take care of our soldiers, our soldiers that are currently defending our countries, and just as importantly, our veterans. Speaking about the United States specifically, we have, as was written in Time magazine, quote, we have state-of-the-art prosthetics. But when it comes to treating soldiers for traumatic brain injuries or post-traumatic stress syndrome, our technology basically goes back to the 1930s. 92 years ago. That's where we are. End quote. That startling quote from Time magazine, sadly, shows how much work the United States specifically has to do. That when we send our soldiers into danger, into harm's way to protect the ideals of American society, yes, we unfortunately bring soldiers back draped in an American flag. We know what happened to them. Soldiers come back and need surgery. Some need prosthetic limbs. 
but it's the soldiers that come back without even so much as a scratch on them that we just like to jump to the conclusion that they are unscathed, that they're fine. And the fact of the matter is we're finding out now that is rarely the case. No, there may not be any physical injuries, but what they did on a foreign battlefield, what maybe they witnessed, what they saw, what they heard, maybe even what they did will rock their confidence for the foreseeable future. We need to uh, figure out a way to work with these soldiers. Is it enough that we send them overseas into harm's way and now we take them back and immediately try to mainstream them into society once again? It doesn't work that way. It's amazing how much training we give our soldiers, and rightly so, before we send them into harm's way. But we need to do more when they return from the battlefields to make sure that we are providing them with everything America needs for our American soldiers, as, at least in my opinion, they are the most deserving. So, when you see veterans, when it might be a baseball cap with a particular ship or unit they served with, or a war that they were involved with, thank them. But most importantly, too, thank their families. They also sacrificed by having to deal with the missing a loved one, whether it was a mom, a dad, a grandpa or grandma, an uncle or an aunt. They endured that. They knew what that was like. And they had the uncertainty day in and day out of whether their loved one was going to come home or not. Can you imagine what goes through the mind of a family whose loved one is serving overseas and they know is in the thick of the battle in the heat of the war every time their phone jingles or the landline if they have one rings or the doorbell rings. We cannot understand unless we've been there just what that kind of anxiety is like. And that's why we need to thank our veterans no matter what country you live in as well as their families. And my final but not important, most important, the most important is dealing with our veterans. But a close second, and I am only speaking now to countries, to people who are living, listening to my podcast in, democratically, in democratic countries where we elect our leaders. For those of you that don't have that, I wish that day will come to you. When you have a say in who is going to govern you. For those of us that live in democratically governed countries, vote. When you have the opportunity, vote. Please note, when you see election day coming and you choose not to go to the ballot box, you choose not to go to the polling place, please know that you are actually giving your vote to somebody else. Is that somebody else, somebody you trust to think for you? Are you comfortable enough with anybody else to think for you? I'm not. And that's why I make sure that I get to the polling place. Please note too, especially if it's an election year and it is considered to be that the person that you would have voted for is not going to win or is very unlikely to win, vote anyhow for that person. Because remember, when a candidate wins from a 75% vote margin, 
that's a landslide, for example. You know, 75% is an example. That's a landslide. Clearly, a vast majority of the voting body wanted that individual, and that's wonderful. But as we know, in democratically elected countries, that's rarely the case. Oftentimes, the, voting, the, the winning margin is a lot slimmer. So vote for your candidate that you feel would be best in that office. Even again, if you're convinced they're not going to win, vote so that there's yet another number in their column. Because an individual that wins by a 1% margin, what does that mean to that winner? If they're smart, if they're pragmatic, if they're politically savvy, they're going to realize that when they give their speech of acceptance and their winning speech, which they have the right to do, they have to understand that when they begin to govern, practically one out of two people didn't want them in that office. The closer that voting margin is, the more a pragmatic politician will look to the losing candidate's ideas and embrace some of them because it was obvious by the voting turnout for that candidate, for the challenger, that a lot of people wanted him or her in office and not the winner. So thank you for listening to my podcast. If this is the conclusion, if you've listened to everyone with When World History 2, all 35 podcasts, again, thank you very much for that. If this is the first series that you've listened to, I encourage you to listen to the series in World History 1, which takes us from 400,000 BC to the 1600s. Also, I invite you, if you have not already done so, to listen to my American History series, American History 1 from 1492 to 1877, have been completed for some time now, and my American History 2 is a work in progress that I hope to be able to conclude in this calendar year. As always, if you like what we discussed today, please go to my website, ceconsola.com, and email me with any questions or comments you might have or book recommendations. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.